Chapter Ten of the Romantic by Mason Clare. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Ten. She waited. John had told her to stay there with the wounded man up the turn of the stable yard while he went for the stretcher. His car, packed with wounded, stood a little way up the street, headed for Ghent. Sutton's car, with one of McLean's chauffeurs, was in front of it, ready. She could hear the engine purring. Instead of going at once for the stretcher, John had followed Sutton into the house opposite, the house with the narrow grey shutters, and he had called to her again across the road to wait for him. Behind her in the yard, the wounded man sat on the cobblestones, his back propped against the stable wall. He was safe there, safer than he would have been outside in the ambulance. It was awful to think that he would have been left behind if they had not found him in the last minute among the straw. She went and stood by the yard entrance to see whether John were coming with the stretcher. A soldier came out of the house with the narrow shutters, wounded, limping, his foot bound to a splint. Then Sutton came, hurrying to help him. He shouted to her, Come on, Charlotte, hurry up. And she called back, I've got to wait here for John. She watched them go on slowly up the road to Sutton's car. She saw them get in. She saw the car draw out and rush away. Then she saw John come out of the door of the house and stand there looking up and down the street. Once she saw him glance back over his shoulder at something behind him in the room. The same instant she heard the explosion and saw the shell burst in the middle of the street, not fifty yards from the ambulance. Half a minute after she saw John dash from the doorway and run, run at an incredible pace towards his car, she heard him crank up the engine. She supposed that he was going to back towards the yard, and she wondered whether she could lift up the Belgian and carry him out. She stooped over him, put her hands under his armpits, raising him and wondering. Better not. He had a bad wound. Better wait for the stretcher. She turned, suddenly, arrested. The noise she heard was not the grating noise of a car backing. It was the scream of a car getting away. It dropped to a heavy whir and diminished. She looked out. Up the road she saw John's car rushing furiously towards Ghent. The Belgian had heard it. His eyes moved. Black hare's eyes, terrified. It was not possible, he said, that they had been left behind. No, it was not possible. John had forgotten them, but he would remember he would come back. In five minutes, seven minutes, she had waited fifteen. The Belgian was muttering something. He complained of being left there. He said he was not anxious about himself, but about Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle ought not to have been left. She was sitting on the ground now, beside him. It'll be all right, she said. He'll come back. When he remembered, he would come back. She had waited half an hour. Another shell. It had burst over there at the backs of the houses beyond the stable. She wondered whether it would be safer to drag her man across the street under the wall of the town hall. They would be sure to aim at it and miss it, whereas any minute they might hit the stable. At the moment while she wondered, there was a third tremendous explosion, the crash and roar of brickwork falling like coal down an enormous chute. It came from the other side of the street a little way down. It couldn't be far from the town hall. That settled it. Much better stay where they were. The Belgian had put his arm round her, drawing her to him, away from the noise and shock of the shell. It was clear now that John was not coming back. He had forgotten them. 
the belgian's hold slackened he dozed falling against her and recovering himself with a jerk and begging her pardon she drew down his head onto her shoulder and let it rest there her mind was soaked in the smell of his rank breath of the warm sweat that oozed through his tunic the hot fetid smell that came through his unlaced boots she didn't care she was too sorry for him she could feel nothing but the helpless pressure of his body against hers nothing but her pity that hurt her and was exquisite like love yesterday she had thought it would be good to die with john now she thought it would be good to die with the wounded belgian since john had left her there to die and again she had a vehement desire for life a horror of the unjust death john was bringing on them but of course there wouldn't be any death if nobody came she would walk back to ghent and bring out the ambulance if only he had shouted to her to carry the wounded man and come in the minute between the concussion of the shell and the cranking of the engine but she could see him rushing if only she knew why he had left them she wanted to get back to ghent to see john to know to know if john if john really was nothing could be worse than not knowing it didn't matter so much his forgetting her the awful thing was his forgetting the wounded man how could you forget a wounded man when she remembered the belgian's terrified hare's eyes she hated john and as she sat there supporting his head with her shoulder she thought again there must have been a wounded man in the house john had come out of was it possible that he had forgotten him too he hadn't forgotten she could see him looking back over his shoulder looking at something that was lying there that couldn't be anything but a wounded man or a dead man whatever it was it had been the last thing he had seen the last thing he had thought of before he made his dash it wasn't possible that he had left a wounded man in there alive it was not possible and all the time while she kept on telling herself that it was not possible she saw a wounded man in the room john had left she saw his head turning to the doorway and his eyes frightened she felt his anguish in the moment that he knew himself abandoned not forgotten abandoned she would have to go over to the house and see she must know whether the man was there or not there she raised the belgian's head gently from her shoulder she would have to wake him and tell him what she was going to do so that he mightn't think she had left him and be frightened but the belgian roused himself to a sudden virile determination mademoiselle must not cross the road it was too dangerous mademoiselle would be hit he played on her pity with an innocent cunning cajolery mademoiselle must not leave me i do not want to be left only for one minute one little minute i think there's a wounded man like you monsieur in that house ah a wounded man he seemed to acknowledge the integrity of her purpose if only i were not wounded if only i could crawl an inch i would go instead of mademoiselle the wounded man lay on the floor of the room in his corner by the fireplace where john had left him his coat was rolled up under his head for a pillow he lay on his side with humped hips and knees drawn up and one hand half clenched half relaxed on his breast under the drooped chin so that at first she thought he was alive sleeping she knelt down beside him and clasped his wrist she unbuttoned his tunic and put in her hand under his shirt above the point of his heart he was certainly dead no pulse no beat no sign of breathing yet his body was warm still and limp as if with sleep he couldn't have been dead very long and he was young a boy not more than sixteen john couldn't have left him she wasn't certain 
She was no nearer certainty so long as she didn't know when the boy had died. If only she knew. They hadn't unfastened his tunic and shirt to feel over his heart if he were dead, so he couldn't have been dead when they left him. But there was Sutton. Billy wouldn't have left him unless he had been dead. Her mind worked rapidly, jumping from point to point, trying to find some endurable resting place. He was so young, so small, so light. Light. It wouldn't take two to carry him. She could have picked him up and carried him herself. Billy had had the lame man to look after. He had left the boy to John. She saw John looking back over his shoulder. She got up and went through the house, through all the rooms, to see if there were any more of them that John had left there. She felt tired out and weak, sick with her belief, her fear of what John had done. The dead boy was alone in the house. She covered his face with her handkerchief and went back. The Belgian waited for her at the entrance to the yard. He had dragged himself there, crawling on his hands and knees. He smiled when he saw her. I was coming to look for you, mademoiselle. She had him safe beside her against the stable wall. He let his head rest on her shoulder now, glad of the protecting contact. She tried not to think about John. Something closed down between them. Black. Black. Shutting him off, closing her heart against him, leaving her heart hard and sick. The light went slowly out of the street, out of the sky. The dark came, the dark sounding with the boom-boom of the guns, lit with spiked diamond flashes like falling stars. The Belgian had gone to sleep again when she heard the ambulance coming down the street. Is that you, Charlotte? Billy, what made you come? Conway, he's in a frantic funk, said he'd lost you. He thought you'd gone on with me. How awful it would be if Billy knew. It was my fault, she lied. He told me to go on with you. She could hear him telling her to wait for him in the stable yard. I'd have come before, only I didn't see him soon enough. I had an operation. Is that a wounded man you've got there? I suppose he lost him too? He didn't know he was here. I see. Then she remembered. Billy would know. Billy would tell her. Billy, was that boy dead when you left him? The boy in the house over there? He was stooping to the Belgian, examining his bandages, and he didn't answer all at once. He seemed to be meditating. Was he? she repeated. It struck her that Billy was surprised. Because... She stopped there. She couldn't say to him, I want to know whether John left him dead or alive. He was dead all right. Sutton's voice came up slow and muffled out of his meditation. It was all right. She might have known. She might have known. Vaguely for a moment she wondered why Billy had come for her and not John. Then she was frightened. Billy, John isn't hurt, is he? No, rather not. A bit done up. I made him go and lie down. Look here, we must get out of this. The McLean Corps were gathered on their side of the mess room. They greeted her with shouts of joy, but their eyes looked at her queerly as if they knew something dreadful had happened to her. You should have stood in with us, Charlotte, Mrs. Rankin was saying. Then you wouldn't get mislaid among the shells. She was whispering, Dr. McLean, if you took Charlotte out among the shells, would you run away and leave her there? I'd try not to. Oh, yes, he wouldn't run away and leave her, but he wouldn't care where he took her. He wouldn't care whether a shell got her or not. But John cared. If only she knew why. Their queer faces sobered her and suddenly she knew. She saw Sutton coming out of the house with a narrow shutter. She heard him shouting to her, Come on, Charlotte, hurry up. John must have heard him. 
he must really have thought that she had gone with him but he must have known too that she wouldn't go he must have known that if he told her to wait for him she would wait so that the voices of the mclean women ceased abruptly one of them turned round charlotte saw john standing between the glasses of the two doors he came in and she heard mrs rankin calling out in her hard insolent voice well mr conway so you've got in safe she was always like that hard and insolent with her damned courage as if courage were ever anything more than just being decent and as if other people couldn't be decent too she hated john because she couldn't make him come to her could make him look with pleasure at her beautiful arrogant face she disliked sutton and mclean for the same reason but she hated john he treated her face with a hardness and insolence like her own you could see her waiting for her revenge watching every minute for a chance to stick her blade into him he was pretending that he hadn't heard her his hair stood up in pointed tufts rumpled from his pillow his eyes had a dazed stupid look as if he were not perfectly awake but at the sound of the rasping voice his mouth had tightened it was pinched and sharp with pain he didn't look at mrs rankin he came to her charlotte redhead straight straight as if she had drawn him from his sleep the mclean people got up one after another and went out charlotte he said did you really think i'd left you i thought you'd left me but i knew you hadn't you knew it wasn't possible yes inside me i knew i'm awfully sorry sutton told me you were going on with him and i thought you'd gone end of chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine